0: Good morning, we're glad you're here. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. The website is btgprogram.com and on social media it's at btgprogram. Studio line is 585-431-1202. Give us a call anytime. We'd be glad to hear your perspective on what we're talking about on the show. That's 585-431-1202. Leave your take anytime, day or night. The next time we come to you over these airwaves, pitchers and catchers for Major League Baseball teams will have reported, I can't be any more excited. I am ready for baseball, Zach.
1: Oh, me too. Pretty much the day after the Super Bowl, I wake up ready for
0: baseball. <laughs> yeah, me too. In fact, for the most part, the winter weather here in Western New York, it really doesn't bother me. But once pro ball players show up for camp, I'm really done with any more snow. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I fully expect it, but the burdensome level of it goes through the roof. It bothers me significantly once more once pitchers and catchers have shown up. I have the Yankees opening day broadcast noted, February 24th, 1 p.m. I know you will mostly see guys that you've never heard of, but they'll be playing baseball, and I will be watching.
1: And I'm the nerd that wants to see those guys anyway, so I'm completely on board.
0: Yeah, and I thought about that as I was... Kind of preparing to say that. I, I thought, you know, Zach likes that. I don't <laughs> care for it as much. I don't want to see those guys, but I, who cares? They're playing baseball. Mm-hmm. This past week, slugging free agent first baseman Chris Carter finally found a home for 2017, and it's with the New York Yankees. A move which, for the life of me, I can't really figure out. I mean, I get it. The guy hit 41 home runs. He tied for the league lead in the National League last season on, on just a one year deal. At three and a half million, it gives the Yankees some added insurance at the position if Greg Bird really isn't ready to go. But for me, it raises more questions than an insurance mm-hmm. signing typically would. I mean, for one, how do you get Carter enough at bats to hit 30 home runs, even 30? He had 41 last year, but mm-hmm. how do you get him the at bats, especially considering his high walk and high strikeout rates? He got in 160 games last year, had 549 at-bats in Milwaukee to get those 41 home runs. He's not getting that with the Yankees. So if he's going to play first base, why? He's not all that good at it, limited range. If he's going to DH, where's Matt Holiday getting his at-bats? If it's in the outfield, does that mean a Brett Gardner trade is imminent? And what about the young guys? Tyler Austin, Greg Bird. I mean, other than power and walks, Carter brings really nothing else. Mm-hmm. He's a career 218 hitter. His on base percentage is just 314. Yeah,
1: there's a reason he was available this late in the offseason. Yeah. He signed for so little.
0: The walks are nice, but he's a liability on the base pass. I just, I, I, you're right. There's a reason other teams didn't sign him. This move makes no sense to me. And I, I think it only serves to create problems and log jams for the Yankees.
1: It's weird because they now have four guys on the roster who can play first base: and Bird, and Austin, and Holiday, and now Carter. And we talked about this off the air. You wonder if there's an outfielder getting ready to be traded, which you would think is Brett Gardner. So Holiday goes to the outfield. Carter goes to DH. Austin and Bird platoon at first base. But Chris Carter is basically an older, right-handed Greg Bird.
0: Lots of home runs, lots of strikeouts. So he just seems redundant. I don't care for high strikeout guys. I know we all love the home runs, but high strikeouts... Man, they come up in that situation and because he's a high home run guy, you're thinking home run and you're, you're rooting for him. And then you Mm -hmm. get the strikeout and it's just so demoralizing. And Mm -hmm. it's a momentum sapper. I just, I don't like high strikeout guys. Coming up today on the program, the Knicks want to move Carmelo Anthony, but he seems content to play it out in New York. And he does hold the no trade clause. We'll talk about that and why it, it just, he just doesn't seem to elevate the play of the guys around him. Terrell Owens missed out on the Hall of Fame again this year. Statistically, he has one of the all-time best careers any receiver has ever had. Does that automatically make him a Hall of Famer? Maybe people seem to think so. A lot of people are outraged by his being snubbed, but I'm not so sure it's obvious that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Zach has a new list of shenanigan statements, and we'll tell you what it was we liked this week. That's all coming up today on Beyond the Game. Beyond the Game is a faith-based radio program, and like many radio ministries, our operating budget is mainly sustained by the support of our listeners. The program is not exclusively for people of faith, but it is our goal to use sports to introduce the message of Jesus Christ and give our listeners something to consider for themselves. Your financial gifts support the program's efforts to reach new markets and bring the message of the gospel to thousands of listeners each week. If you feel so led, You can make a secure donation through the website, btgprogram.com. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. This is Beyond the Game. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs. So if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024 and let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, TownandCountrySolutions.com. Town and Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. It's here, Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television.
1: That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian Sports TV channel with programming from who to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition. Sports missions, Western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at Ramsportsnetwork.com
0: or find us on the Roku channel store. Ramsports Network, more than a game. Benson and Barletta here with you on Beyond the Game, taking sports and mixing in faith. Terrell Owens failed for the second time this week to get voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Many are calling this shameful, but I can't completely i can't completely agree with that. I mean, I do believe that T.O. is a Hall of Famer. I think he should be in. That may sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but what I mean is that I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think it's as clear-cut as do the many who are so outraged that he's not. The guy was no doubt an amazing football player. Five-time first-team All-Pro, six times total, second all-time in receiving yards, third in career touchdown catches. He ranks among the top in numerous other categories as well. His teams went to the playoffs eight times. On the surface, that's a Hall of Famer. But he was also a very difficult teammate. I mean, heck, several teams got rid of him while he was playing at the very top of his game, suggesting that the numbers that he puts up isn't worth the trouble that he caused. And I suppose what it comes down to is what is the interpretation of what is a Hall of Famer? Pete Daugherty, who writes for USA Today, recently pointed out in an article that the Hall lays it out that the voters are only to consider what a player does on the field. He says that arrests, convictions, drug issues, et cetera, these things are not a factor. Mm -hmm. Before you say, well, then, Benson, he's definitely a Hall of Famer then if you don't consider those other things. Doherty says that an interpretation of the bylaws does leave room for taking into account how a player's behavior on the sidelines and in the locker room affects his team's performance. And that's where Terrell Owens has a problem. After being traded out of San Francisco to the Philadelphia Eagles, despite being the best player at his position, or at least arguably the best player at his position, It was only halfway through his second season in Philly that he was kicked off the team for conduct detrimental to the club. He wanted a new contract, even though he was barely into a seven-year agreement that he signed upon arriving in Philly. Owens was also highly critical of quarterback Donovan McNabb, just as he was of Jeff Garcia when he was with the 49ers. Things were never his fault. It was always a quarterback, somebody else's, but never to. And those are two
1: pretty good quarterbacks too. They're not scrubs. Those two.
0: Right, guys. and the Cowboys let him go, and I think we know Jerry Jones was. He'll take a lot of baggage if a guy's mm-hmm. productive on the field, and they let him go. He also spent a season in Buffalo, a season in Cincinnati. My point is this: What makes a great player, and does that differ from being a great teammate? Because if he was so great, why did all those teams let him go? Former Bills GM Bill Polian and Panthers and Colts GM, by the way, said that the Hall of Fame ought to be for people who make their teams better, not for those who disrupt them and make them worse. Now, there's one voter's view on what makes a Hall of Famer. Now, while he was with Dallas, Terrell Owens so frustrated Bill Parcells that Parcells took to referring him only as the player. (laughs) He wouldn't call him by his name. So I restate my opinion. I think the guy belongs in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think it's... As clear cut as that, it's it's not as easy as someone to claim it is. I don't think there's any doubt that he'll eventually he'll get in. At least not in my mind. I think the voters are going to make him wait. I think it's their version of payback, their version of punishment, and that's what I have a problem with.
1: Yeah, if you're if you're a voter for the Hall of Fame, your job is only to decide yes or no. It's not to moralize. It's not to punish a player, a former player, or teach them a lesson. If he's second all-time in catches and third all-time in touchdown, you put him in the Hall of Fame. It's a no-brainer for me.
0: Right. He, he's either a Hall of Famer or not. And if mm-hmm. you think that his on-the-field, the trouble he caused keeps him from being a Hall of Famer, then you vote no. Yeah. Or if that doesn't bother you, vote yes if it's, you're only going yeah. by numbers. But you don't use it as punishment and say, well, we're going to make him wait. Eventually, I'll, I'll, I'll vote for him. I don't think that's their job. Their job is either yes or no. Uh, This is not a situation where they only could take a certain number of players because Owens had eligibility. They could wait till next year. This is not that. I mean, they voted in Morton Anderson. Mm -hmm. Morton Anderson is the NFL's all-time leading scorer. I get it, but it's only because he was a kicker and he played forever. He is not in the top 50. Not in the top 50 in all-time field goal percentage. He actually ranks 51st, just under 80%. He's the 37th all-time in extra point percentage. So I hate to use the the phrase compiler because you got to be pretty good to even be in a position to compile. Yes. But he played for 25 seasons and compiled. <laughs> if yeah. anybody's a compiler, it's Morton Anderson. He was good. He was good for a long time. He played 25 seasons, made the Pro Bowl seven times. He was good, but I don't think he was great. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. But if you do, and the voters seem to, that's fine. But if they think he's a better football player than Terrell Owens, well, yeah, that's flat out, ridiculous. Yeah, they're wrong about that. So what it comes down to, the voters are holding a grudge against Owens because he was a pain in the fanny. And unfortunately, he continues to give them ammunition for that for their bitterness towards him. Owens called the Pro Football Hall of Fame a total joke after <laughs> failing to get in this year. On Twitter, he said, HOF is a total joke. Honestly, it doesn't mean anything to me to get in beyond this point. Well, based on that response, yeah. obviously it does mean something to him.
1: He's never lacked for uh, confidence, has he?
0: <laughs> no, and, and I think the, va- the voters gained a small victory there because, well, they hit a nerve. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't know how you can see it any other way, but that's what they intended to do. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to punish him. They wanted to make him suffer. And that's what they did. And that's, it's not their job. That's wrong. One of the most hurtful emotions we have is bitterness. And I think the voters are bitter against Terrell Owens. I think that's clear. Not only does bitterness hurt the person holding on to it, but it hurts the person who's the target of that bitterness as well. The thing about bitterness is that it seems to grow over time. It consumes one's thoughts. It chains them to the sin of unforgiveness. Believe it or not, holding a grudge can actually affect a person's health. It leads to anger, and studies have shown anger can cause things like high blood pressure, an accelerated heart rate, depression, ulcers, or or even worse. You can't hold a grudge or be bitter about things every time you get bumped in life. You know, you'll end up with a list of hurts so long that you'll end up hating everybody. The fact is, everyone will be hurt by people along the way. And the effects of that hurt can escalate when we choose not to move on, to not forgive. Bitterness drains us of joy. It drains us of happiness. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Some people are so bitter that they end up angry with God. Regardless of the hurt, we must choose to forgive others, to trust God with it. Give it to God. You know, one of Satan's strategies to destroy the church is to get believers to be angry and unforgiving with one another. And it's a successful strategy. But God is direct in his instruction not to be bitter or not to hold a grudge. Ephesians 4, 31 and verse 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." And then the other side of that, verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Jesus says in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Man, that's hard. That's a hard thing. But don't let what someone else may have said or what someone else may have done consume you. Don't let the circumstances of your life, which aren't as you would have them to be, drag you down into bitterness. When such thoughts sprout in our minds, they grow like a weed. And just as a weed will do, it keeps good things from growing. Proverbs twenty-four nineteen says, Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. In fact, we ought to not only forget those things which cause bitterness, which cause grudges, but we ought to turn them around and show the love of Jesus to people who hurt us by doing good things instead. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know, we tend to forget sometimes, and we even tend to overlook it when we do it ourselves, but occasionally we hurt people too. We offend people too in the same way that they hurt and offend us. Sometimes it's intentional, and sometimes it's completely innocent. It's, it's unintentionally we hurt somebody. You know, Jesus Christ knows all the hurt we've caused, all the things we've done, and yet he loves us. He loves you enough he gave his life for you so that you can be forgiven. That ought to, that ought to be reason enough that we can forgive other people. Now, I know some people have done some terrible things. I know some people have caused some real hurt. They've, they, they may have hurt you really, really badly. But as deep as that hurt is, God's love is deeper still. You might be thinking that it's easy for me to say, forgive and move on. I, I don't know what's happened to you. And you're right, I, I don't. And, and it may have been bad, and I'm sorry for that. But I do know this, harboring those feelings of bitterness is going to hurt you in the long run and it may hurt the people you care about that are around you. You really only have two options, and that's to let it fester in your life or to let it go, to get rid of it. And while you may hear, forgive, and forget, I I do know that that's not easy. One thing may help, though, is when those bitter thoughts and feelings spring up, fight them off with Scripture. Remember, that's what Jesus did. When darkness comes to your mind, Flooded out with the light that is God's word. Bitterness is really a product of our of of us allowing ourselves, even if it temporarily, to forget how much we've actually been forgiven of. And I think a good mechanism to protect the state of our hearts, to protect our minds is to remind ourselves of the cross every day, to evangelize ourselves every day, give ourselves the gospel. When we forgive You know, we take ourselves out of the position of passing judgment, and we give that over to God, trusting God to bring justice to the matter. Real peace, though, real peace is found in Jesus Christ. Remember, as deep as that hurt is, I told you God's love is deeper. You probably know that. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Despite all that we've done— Despite all the hurt, God loved us enough to come to earth to die on a cross to pay for our sins. Jesus lived a perfect life, yet he gave that life as a sacrifice. He became sin in our place. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus gave his life on the cross to make a way of forgiveness, so that if we would believe That if we would seek God's forgiveness, instead of seeing our sins, God sees his son Jesus on the cross taking away the debt of those sins. You need to come to a place where you know you are a sinner. And I think deep down, we all know that. We're sinners. But we need to admit that to God. We need to repent of those sins. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to save you from the penalty of those sins, which is hell. Romans ten nine and 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died on that cross to pay for your sins and believe that he was raised from the dead, God says you will be saved. With the heart one believes, but with the mouth one confesses, You need to tell it to God. We're glad you're with us. I'd ask you, listen, if there's anything we can do to help, let us know. Be glad to help you. Even if you just want somebody to pray for you, it would be our honor and privilege to do that. I'm Rick Benson. I'm here with Zach Barletta. And you're listening to the Beyond the Game program. Do you see? Do you see? All the people sinking down. Don't you care? Here's the Redhawks report for this week, February 11th, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. In women's basketball, the Redhawks came back from eight points down late in the game to force overtime where they pulled out a 92-89 win over the University of Bridgeport last Friday night. Junior Brooke Fields went off for 33 points and in fact scored the final eight points of the fourth quarter for Roberts to help force the overtime. Freshman's Emily Miller had 19 points and Taya Andrews had 18, six of which coming in the extra period. The men weren't as fortunate as they fell 96-76 to the University of Bridgeport last Friday, this despite getting 32 points from sophomore Quinn Carey. Carey had a career-high nine three-pointers. This past Wednesday, Queens College came to town, and despite another 18 points from Andrews, the Red Hawks women fell to number 18 Queens College 72-63. Roberts just couldn't win the battle on the boards, getting out rebound 47-32. On the men's side, though it was a valiant effort in attempting to overcome a 21-point second-half deficit, the Redhawks did come up just short in losing to Queens College 65-62. Senior Devon Jackson had a double-double off the bench, scoring 10 points and pulling down 11 rebounds. Meanwhile, freshman Isaiah Lewis led the team in scoring with 19 points. Last Saturday in men's tennis, it was West Virginia Wesleyan College defeating the Red Hawks 9-zip in the spring opener for Roberts. Coming up later today, February 11th, the LIU post-basketball teams comes to the Roberts Wesleyan campus to take on the Red Hawks. The women play at 1 p.m. while the men will start at 3. And apart from today's basketball games, the only other opportunity to catch the Red Hawks athletic team at home this week will be on Friday when the women's lacrosse team kicks off the season battling RIT at 4.30. That does it for the Red Hawks report for this week, February 11th, 2017 the red hawks report is presented by roberts wesleyan college and do remember you can follow roberts wesleyan athletics on twitter at rwc red hawks this has been the red hawks report presented by roberts wesleyan college
2: if you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self think roberts wesleyan college hi i'm dr dina porterfield president of roberts we recently won six conference titles Our teams have made three NCAA National Championship appearances and 96 student-athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu.
1: Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show. Recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here's your host, Rick Benson.
0: Welcome back in to Beyond the Game, recording from Rochester, New York, btgprogram.com, or on social media, it's at btgprogram. Benson and Barletta talking sports from a faith-based point of view, giving you some things that I know you're not going to hear on other sports talk radio programs. Hoping to use these topics in sports to give you a little encouragement as we go along. Beyond the Game is available on podcast as heard across the nation and worldwide, And you can listen to previous broadcasts at our website, btgprogram.com. They're all archived there. You can also subscribe, have the show downloaded to the device of your choice each and every week. To all of you who listen, to all of you who support the program, we want you to know that we certainly do appreciate it and we thank you. The NBA trade deadline of February 23rd is fast approaching and several big names are rumored to be on the move. Those rumors will gain momentum, of course, as the day draws even closer, and it's certainly no secret at this point that the New York Knicks are working hard to trade their biggest star, Carmelo Anthony. One of the rumored places Melo could potentially be heading would be Cleveland to join the world champs. I think it'll take an awful lot of work to get that deal done, but he does have a close friendship with LeBron, and James has been reportedly complaining to the Cavaliers' front office about a lack of a playmaker on offense, and Carmelo Anthony could be that for them. James is said by some to even now be frustrated and upset that the team has been unable to find them some help, and not for nothing. But the Caval- Cavaliers are rolling out James, Tristan Thompson, Iman Shumpert, Kyrie Irving, Ka- Kevin Love. How much help do they need? Now, obviously, LeBron James knew more about basketball by the time he was five than I'm going to know in my entire life, so who am I to question? But, boy, that lineup seems pretty formidable to me. How does Carmelo even fit in that lineup as it currently is made up? To me, it seems like somebody would have to be moved out to make room for him, and the obvious somebody would be Kevin Love. Love has always seemed somewhat, to me, to be that guy that's on the outside looking in on the inner circle there on the Cavaliers. There was certainly some distance between Love and James during the playoffs last year. There was a little bit of friction there. Both have admitted at times that they're not the best of friends. They're teammates. They're co-workers. They are teammates they are coworkers. they do not have to be best friends. Call it what you want, but Love has never really seemed to me to be a smooth fit with the rest of the Cavaliers roster. So it's pretty easy to see why... Even a basketball novice would quickly deduce that since LeBron wants a playmaker, the Knicks want to move Carmelo, Kevin Love would be the obvious trade chip in making that happen. I it Really, you could see where they would put that together. Of course, there's more to it. There's always more involved in making a deal happen. Like I say, I think it would be a hard thing. It's not as easy as I just said. Some guys like me like to joke that You know, the Knicks should just get a case of outdated hot dog rolls and a gas card for Mello if they can, but again, it's always much more difficult, even when the match seems obvious like this one does. But this week, LeBron James lashed out against a report which, though unnamed by James, seemed to be directed at Frank Isola of the New York Daily News, who reported that James wants the Cavaliers to trade for Anthony, even if it means moving Kevin Love. James said he doesn't want the Cavs to move Love, and he's called the report that he's pushing the team to do so. He's called it trash. Not only that, but again, though he didn't name the writer, most are speculating, and that it's Isola, he said that the guy who wrote it is trash, too, for writing that. LeBron James is the greatest basketball player in the game today. He's the greatest player on the planet. He's arguably the greatest player who's ever played the game. But LeBron James seems to be more sensitive than many, if not most, if not every other great athlete that's come before him. I wouldn't go so far as to call him soft, as some have. I don't think you reach that level of greatness by being soft, but he's definitely more sensitive, it seems. Look, now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, nobody really likes to be criticized or talked about as much as a guy like LeBron is. He exists in a glass house. That can't be easy. Being sensitive just seems to be part of who he is. And again, I'm not saying that as a shot against him. It's just part of who he is. He jumped all over Charles Barkley recently, even attacking him on a more personal level after Barkley said some critical things about him. Barkley's a broadcaster. That's what they do. He made some valid, by the way, observations about LeBron on the court, about his game. But LeBron didn't like it. He reacted, and he even made it pretty personal. I'd say this. While he shouldn't have gotten personal, I, I do think he has a right a right to respond if he so desires. He has a right to defend himself. I think maybe the best thing to do would have been to just be quiet and let it go, but not everybody's built that way. LeBron doesn't seem to be. You have a right to defend yourself, but you need to do it in a mature way. You can answer a guy when he's critical of you, but you need to be mature about it. You you can't get angry, you can't go on the attack, you can't get personal as LeBron did. But you know the old saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. And in my opinion, that's usually more accurate than it's not. Not that there has to be a full inferno, but more often than not, there's at least a little something to it. I'm not surprised that the Knicks and the Cavaliers would have at least discussed a potential deal. And certainly the Knicks would have asked for Kevin Love. Why wouldn't you? I like to say there's, there's three sides to every story. There's the two differing sides. And then there's the truth, which is that third side, which is usually somewhere in the middle. And this thing between Isola and James, look, the Knicks want to trade Carmelo Anthony. That's a fact. The Knicks would love to get a guy like Kevin Love. That too is a fact. LeBron wants a playmaker. He wants some help. He's close friends with Carmelo Anthony. All facts. So when a writer, like Isola, whose job it is to get people to read his newspaper, when he speculates about a deal which seems fairly obvious, boy, that shouldn't come as a surprise, and it's not that far out of line. Now, to to say that LeBron is pushing the team to move love, which is what got LeBron's attention, boy, if that can't be corroborated, and if that's not true, well, then— That would be irresponsible to report. Although, frankly, who would be surprised to it? I don't think I'd react the way LeBron did. It's a New York tabloid newspaper. That's what they do. The Knicks need to move Anthony. It's not working. It's clear. There's not going to be a title for the Knicks and Anthony. We can agree on these things, right? And I like Carmelo Anthony. Look, he's a Syracuse guy. Spent a year up there. Got a national title. I like Carmelo Anthony. He's got a nice smile, seems to be humorous in the clubhouse with the reporter. I like Carmelo Anthony. He's a personable guy. But he does have a no-trade clause in his contract, and that's certainly going to complicate things. Knicks aren't going to be able to move them where, he would, where, where they would like to get the most for him. They're going to be trapped in the giving up or getting back less than they would like moving him someplace where he wants to go, if that be anywhere. He's reported to want to live in New York. He was very particular before he came to New York. He, he took a lot of weight on what his where his wife wanted to live. He's said to be a solid family man. He takes very serious his wife's desires. He takes very serious the, the report that his son is said to want to stay in the school he's at with his friends. And that means a lot to Carmelo Anthony. I can certainly respect that. He's a good family man. But while I would say this, while I can't fault him for wanting to live in New York or not wanting to uproot his family, even if that means playing out his career on a team that's not very good, that's not going to win a thing, I think it does say something about the competitiveness within him, which is something that's often criticized. Phil Jackson jumped on that bandwagon on Twitter in a somewhat cryptic message this past week that seems to seem to have Jackson agreeing with a disparaging report and bleacher report regarding Anthony's lack of fire. Jackson said that he learned that you don't change the spot on a leopard. Jackson was referring to his time in Albany when he was coaching in the CBL and had a problem player, but many reading between the lines have speculated that he's taking a shot at Anthony here. Now, if you're asking me, the Knicks need to move Anthony. But not only that, They need to move Phil Jackson. They just need to part ways with him as well. I know he was on that 73 championship team. He played with the Knicks. But when you think of Phil Jackson, don't you think of Jordan Pippen, the Bulls, or Kobe and the Lakers? I mean, he's a Bull. He's a Laker. You don't think of him as a Knick. I just can't be convinced that his heart is here in New York and not in L.A. Some of the deals that he's made are just head scratchers. Derek Rose, Joakim Noah. Now, again, if they were playing better, maybe that wouldn't be as much a head-scratcher, but I, I never liked those deals. Derek Fisher, even re-signing Anthony when, with a no-trade clause, a max deal? I know there were other teams that wanted him, but let him go. The problem with Anthony has been ongoing and has outlived a number of head coaches. It's that Carmelo Anthony's the star. He's content with being in New York, regardless of whether the team wins. He's content, and he's as the star, he's going to do things his way. And with the Knicks, you could trace that back to Mike D'Antoni when he was coaching. D'Antoni, and really every coach since, has wanted to get more defense out of Anthony. But that's not what Anthony wants to do. He wants to roll up that offense. They were never able to get him to give more D. During the insanity craze, Mike D'Antoni wanted Jeremy Lin to To quarterback that offense, he couldn't get a Carmelo to go along with that. But look how much success D'Antoni's having in Houston now that he's got a star who is buying into it. Now, but look, I'm not saying they're going to get past San Antonio or Golden State or win the West, but they are enjoying a much better season than the Knicks are right now, that's for sure. And how many coaches later? Here's a problem that often accompanies an exceptionally gifted athlete, and it starts long before they're professional. And that's that they know they're special. Coaches who want to win then, well, they just feed that monster. You know what makes Tom Brady so good? It's that he makes players around him better. Things like taking taking less money so that you can have more to give other players around him. Distributing the football to a number of players, maybe some that are less reliable, even though that might be some drop passes and affect his percentage ratios the more he passes the more he distributes you know you know what tom brady's doing he's serving others he's being sacrificial and he's serving others even at the youth levels everybody can tell when a kid is significantly more talented than the others all the parents know the kids know especially the that particular kids parents know and they sometimes try to manipulate the coach into showcasing that kid. Of course, the coaches know, and they go ahead and, like I said, feed that monster, give that kid all the shots so that the team wins. I mean, that's what they want to do, right? Win, everybody's happy. The W, that's the important thing. But a good coach will teach that player to make the players around him better. Carmelo Anthony never seemed to to learn this, or at least buy into it. Perhaps if that he was coached up. And by the way, it's not just a good coach. The player has to be, has to learn it, has to embrace it. So a good coach can teach it, but if the player doesn't learn it, you're really not getting anywhere. But if a great player would draw the defenders to himself so that a lesser talented player has an easy layup, well, then everybody benefits. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, guys like this benefit greatly. By making players around them better and having more options with which to distribute the football, the team has a better chance to win. They do better. They're stronger. Guys like Carmelo Anthony, can, can they can roll up great numbers. Anthony's going to end up in the Hall of Fame, probably. Little doubt about that. He'll roll up great numbers. But when he ends his career, he'll have put up great career numbers. But he was never actually a winner. He was never really a winner. And I'm not talking personally. I'm talking on the court. He was never a winner because he didn't learn how to make the players around him better. It's always been about him, not about serving others. You want an example of serving others? Just look to Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to earth to be the star. He came to serve others. Look at the way he came so humble in a manger. The book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul says we all should have this servant attitude. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Jesus Christ was God. He left heaven as a man to serve others, really to serve you and I by paying for our sins with his death on the cross. But right before that passage I just read in Philippians chapter 2, and verse 4, Paul says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what God was doing by sending Jesus to die for us, a winning coach, a winning team, takes that same approach. If a coach can get his players to be singularly unified, he or she's going to be so much more successful. That coach is not only teaching those players well, but they're defining what it really means to be a coach. Teaching the players. The most talented teams are not always the most successful, and the most successful are not always the most talented. But the most successful are those teams which are unified together working together as a team. Now, you might throw up like a team like the late 70s, the Yankees, how chaotic they were, how they all seemed to hate each other. But when it came to playing baseball, they all fulfilled their job and worked together. That's how God intends the church to be, working together, serving one another to the benefit of everyone. Jesus' life was certainly one of service, even to the point of dying on the cross for each one of us. Even on the very evening, that he was to be betrayed. There he was, washing his disciples' feet. It's recorded in John chapter 13. You could read about it there. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew that Peter was going to deny, deny him, and yet he continued to serve. Jesus' approach to servanthood proves to us that greatness is not in a position. It's not in how, how great a job you have or how much authority you have or how much fame you have. Greatness is found in the humility of serving one another. If we're ever to achieve true Christian fellowship, biblical fellowship, we need to learn to serve one another. Is there a better way to gain influence with people? Is there a better way to show the light of Christ than to love others and serve them? Rather than fighting with people, serving them, showing humility, Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 says, Whosoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. Servanthood is a great way to influence people. It'll go a long way to making others around us. We need to serve other people. That's what Christ being Christ-like is all about. Just a little something for you to chew on. I do hope it spokes, sparks a thought, maybe even two. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to Beyond the Game.
1: When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070, that's 402-1070, or visit them online at McCaffeyRemodeling.com.
2: Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College, where athletics are fundamental to our commitment to educate for character. Our athletic program is strong and getting stronger every year. We offer 17 varsity sports, from lacrosse and basketball to track and field and soccer, and the only Division II athletic program in the area. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu.
0: Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals. Call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs. So if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024, and let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town and Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Hey, it's Darren. Beyond the Game is a unique radio show that combines sports with faith and hopefully makes you laugh along the way. If you enjoy the show and want to listen again,
1: or have a friend you would recommend us to, subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes or get the
0: link from our website, btgprogram.com. Beyond the Game, it's not a faith program with sports, it's a sports program with faith. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking
1: sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support.
0: Welcome back into the show. Thanks once again for being with us here on Beyond the Game. Here now is Zach Barletta to take us through some of his shenanigans statements for this week.
1: The New England Patriots won the Super Bowl despite losing their top weapon, Rob Gronkowski, to yet another injury. Bill Belichick is known for trading away big-name players when they become expensive, so truth or shenanigans, Gronk will be wearing another team's jersey soon.
0: I'm going to say shenanigans. He's currently in a six-year deal, takes him through 2019. Although the salary and and the the cap hit become more significant after next season, so I mean, I guess I wouldn't rule anything out, but I don't think we'll see anything this off season, and probably not next. That is, unless he suffers a major injury and his future is questioned, at which point uh, the Patriots, they'll move on. But I don't know if that is what you would consider soon or not, but at that point, the Patriots are the Patriots.
1: I'm going to say that I agree, so I'm glad that you called shenanigans because we'll make for better radio, but I just, I feel like,
0: so i am saying, I'm saying possibly after 2019 you the the statement was he will be wearing another team's jersey soon. Let's establish I I'm saying 2019 after that season it's possible you're saying before that. I'm going to say
1: that. by soon I'll say within the next 12 months. Okay. So I I just it's what they do man. Vince Wilfork and 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 guys like that that just you never think they'd be gone and then they are, you know, and Bill Belichick is not going to pay big money for a guy that misses so many games, and while he's just such a big part of what they do, I think the Super Bowl was an example that they don't really need him, especially if they re-sign Michael Floyd to be their big downfield receiver, you know, and I feel like they're the type of guys that, you know, if they can trade Garoppolo for a first or a second and Gronk for a first or a second, suddenly they're sitting pretty, so I, I think it'll happen. The Falcons reached the Super Bowl mainly on the strength of their league-leading offense, but offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan left to become the 49ers' new head coach and was replaced by Steve Sarkeesian, fresh off his one-game stint as Alabama's offensive coordinator. Truth or shenanigans, the Falcons will take a step back next season under Sarkeesian.
0: Why don't you take it?
1: I think so, just because what they did this year is going to be so hard to replicate. You know, they were the highest-scoring offense in the league. They, they were completely dominant and we saw them blow out some teams that were pretty darn good teams like the Packers so I I say so not because I'm you know down on Sarkeesian or anything just because what they did this year will be so hard to do again
0: I agree I'm with you 100% brother not so much because of the changes because they played at such a high level this year that to expect that again next season is really asking for a lot mm. but they're good So, Steve Sarkeesian's reputation offense is every bit as good as Shanahan's, and if not, at least it's real close. I expect them to do well, but maybe not as well.
1: Is Sarkeesian the Terrell Owens of offensive coordinators? (laughs) (laughs) The off-field stuff is as big as the on-field stuff. Maybe. All right. Tiger Woods returned recently from a 16-month layoff, but withdrew from the Dubai Desert Classic last week after only one round because of back spasms, truth, or shenanigans Tiger is done as a tournament-winning golfer.
0: This is tough. Uh, You know, I'm going to say shenanigans. Just taking him at his word, it's not the same back injury that has been hampering him previously. Mm -hmm. But he's admitted, I feel good, though not great. I don't think I will ever feel great because it's three back surgeries and four knee operations. I think as long as he is going out there, his mindset is to win. And that's always what made him so great was that that focus, that mental game that he had, I think it's clear that he won't be the dominant Tiger we once saw, but I'm not ready to say that he can't win a tournament. I don't think it's going to be nearly as consistent, obviously, and uh, that's in part to his health, but partly due to the competition is stronger and guys have caught up. So I- I'm not ready to say he can't win tournaments. I- maybe he's not going to catch Jack Nicholas in-, in majors, but um, I'm going to say shenanigans.
1: I'm going to play devil's advocate and I'm going to say the opposite of you again which is that I agree with the statement. What he said is, is that, you know, I'm never going to feel great again, which means it's going to have to be a pain management thing and how much pain can he play through. But when was the last time he actually showed that he could play through some pain? I mean, he's withdrawing from tournaments constantly when he's actually in them. So I, I just don't see the ability with Tiger Woods to do what he said he's going to have to do. So I'm going to say that that I agree. Tiger but is but done. he's
0: not 50. You know, we're not talking really about an old man. There's right. a lot of time. So... Even though it
1: feels like he is because he's been around Right, so
0: because he started so young. But if he wins two tournaments this year, I, two tournaments next yeah. year, w- whatever but I think number he, is.
1: But I think he has an old man's body at this point. Major League Baseball's proposed changes to the strike zone and the intentional walk rules are long
0: overdue. Shenanigans. The, I, you know, I don't really care for this. First off. I like a pitcher having to throw four balls rather than just sending a guy to first. Yeah. There's crazy things that happen. I, I think they should have to pitch the balls. Is, I mean, is this, is this about time? Uh, the, how many intentional Absolutely walks are there per game? And, and how much time is really being saved if you just send them to first? There's not, you don't see an intentional walk every game. I mean, is it pitch counts? Does four lobs really make a difference? And as far as the strike zone, moving two inches from the bottom of the batter's knee to the top of the knee will make less of a difference than umpires actually calling the strike zone as it's defined in the rule book. Just do that. Yeah. I don't think you need to change the whole game. Just enforce the rule book. So I say shenanigans. It's not overdue. I don't like it. I absolutely agree. Um, Agree with me or agree with Agree with you.
1: This one, I am not playing devil's advocate. This (laughs) one, I completely agree with you. I call shenanigans on the statement. Uh, how long does an intentional walk take? 45 seconds? Yeah, exactly you know? right. If there's two of them in a game, you save a minute and a half. What's the point? Now how many games are there two in a game? Right, almost never. But how many times do you see the pitcher just isn't as accurate when he throws the ball to the backstop? I remember years ago in a Yankees game, Todd Zeal threw his bat at a pitch on it that was supposed to be an intentional ball and hit it, and I think he brought a runner in or moved a runner over or something. Every now and then, you see some crazy thing that you've never seen.
0: It happens so infrequently that they intentionally walk a guy that it's, that it's out of character for a pitcher to do mm. it, and that's why they struggle with it. It's not something that's part of their regular routine. Right. Anytime you
1: get a chance like that to see something weird happen, I hate to see that taken away. And the strikes on one, one a hundred percent agree. If you just enforce the rules as they're written, there's
0: no need to change anything. Right?
1: It's just umpires not enforcing the rules that are in place.
0: Well, this goes back to what we were talking about with Hall of Fame voters. It's not up to you. Here's the rule book. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's your job. It's right there in enforce black and white. the rule book.
1: What do you think? This is not in the question, but what do you think about the rule that they're talking about where if you go into extra innings, you start with a runner on second? Is that ridiculous?
0: Oh, that's. Just stop. How long before we just put it on a tee and see how long they can hit it? Hey, come on, stop. Yeah, That's, just
1: end it with a home run derby if you're going to do
0: that. Ruining the game. I'm not all that up worried about time. I know it's. I'm an old guy, and it's not about me. It's about young people with short attention spans. Mm-hmm. But baseball is played in sunny weather. Let it take all afternoon. Yeah. Who cares? Enjoy it. Enjoy the weather. Sit yeah. out in the sunshine. What I are don't... you going to run home and do that's more fun than being at a game? Exactly right. Now, look, if it's football, quick, make that thing a little quicker. Nobody wants to be out in the cold. <laughs>
1: Last but not least, the Arizona Coyotes deal to build a new stadium in Tempe has fallen through, leaving their future in the desert in doubt. Truth or shenanigans, the Coyotes will stay in Arizona.
0: What do you think, Zach?
1: To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> Because Gary Bettman likes to move teams around. He likes to put them in warm-weather cities where they probably don't belong. I could see him wanting to find a way to keep them there because that was one of his projects. But at the same time, it just doesn't look like Arizona wants them. So I'm I'm going to say shenanigans. I think yeah, they're going I, to end up in— I think
0: it's definitely shenanigans. There's yeah.
1: lots of much better hockey cities that are missing their teams that could support them. So I'm, yep. I just can't see them staying.
0: You said the Coyotes will stay in Arizona, and I say shenanigans. My understanding is there are currently two different bills that would may yet keep them there, but most politicians don't seem to be offering those bills much support. And I, I suspect that's because they have no confidence in the long-term viability of the team there. Attendance mm-hmm. is among the bottom of the NHL. It's trending down. Last season was close to an all-time low. Long-term, I don't see them staying. So I— well, If I was a politician representing the people of Arizona, I wouldn't be on board to spend taxpayer money. Yeah. Uh, move. I think you make a great point. There are other cities, and it was a nice go. Move them on. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 to encourage one another, to build up one another. So each week, Zach and I look for something from the sports world, which we found particularly encouraging, and we share that with you. We call the segment You Like That. Of course, last weekend was a uh, terrific Super Bowl game, tremendous game. We haven't talked much about it today because the story's been well covered at this point. But in the days leading up to the game, Decision Magazine shared a video of New England Patriots All-Pro Matthew Slater sharing the gospel while addressing the media. It's definitely what I liked from this past week, and I want to play that clip for you now.
3: You have to understand who God is and who His Son is. And you have to understand what God says about your sin. And from there, you realize that, hey, you know, I am a sinful person. And my sin has separated me from uh, an eternal, perfect God. And But there's a backup plan to that. He sent his son, Jesus. And I believe that you know, Jesus is, is the son of God, is God. He came here. He died on the cross for my sins, your sins, everybody's sins, everybody who's willing to accept that truth. And if you're able to put your trust in him... And, and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is then from there you can initiate a relationship with him but I also believe that repentance is a big part of that as well um, you have to turn from your old life of sin and try to you know model uh, a christ-like life and I think that that's something that we'll never fully figure out on this side of glory but uh, it's certainly one day at a time process that I've been so blessed to be on uh, for the last 25 or so years.
0: The Great job by Matthew Slater, the New England Patriots, taking advantage of the opportunity presented him with all the media around to share the gospel and to do a good job making it clear and understandable. Matthew Slater's bold stance for Christ is what I like this week.
1: What I liked this week was Steelers wide receiver Antonio Brown's comments at Super Bowl Media Week. We've talked about him on the show a few times recently for his uh, Facebook Live video and some of the things that have been said about him, but I wanted to highlight some positive things that he said. He said, the big thing I learned is that I have some growing up to do and I'm going to do it. I learned a lot from it and will keep learning. I'm going to rebuild the trust with my teammates and coaches. I promise you that. Antonio Brown has had some behavior that's been, uh, could be described as childish, but you know, we've said he needed to grow up a little bit, and it seems that he's recognized that, and he's planning to do that. So good for Antonio Brown, and that is what I liked
0: this week. You like that? You like that? You know, if you go back and play the segments where we talk about him, we're a little critical, but we said each time, he seems like a great guy. Mm-hmm. seems like an upstanding guy, just just a young kid, mm-hmm. making young kid mistakes. So when I hear him say something like that, that's a great sign of maturity. Good for him. I like that, too. Well, that's going to do it for this week. On behalf of Zach Barletta, we thank you for listening to Beyond the Game. Give us a follow on Twitter, at BTG Program, or stop by our Facebook page and say hello. It's always encouraging to hear from a listener. I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, right here at the same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody.